Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Um, I'm so excited to be bringing you my first guest for today for this session where we're talking about the workplace um, and leadership of self and others and all sorts of things like that. We are going to be talking first to Pat Armistead. Armitstead. Now, she, Pat is a multi-award winning speaker. She is a facilitator, a coach, an author, an artist. Pat Armistead is at the forefront of transforming workplace well-being presenting over a thousand keynotes internationally and facilitating workplace well-being programs in business and health sectors. She works with leaders, event managers, organizations, teams, and individuals to develop conscious, courageous, and creative leaders. So amazing. I'm so excited to bring Pat to you. Uh, Pat and I have known each other for a number of years through the Professional Speakers Association and She's just been incredible over the past few years, voicing her opinion when um, it was, in, in a sense, a little bit dangerous to do so, especially amongst your peers. Um, and so before we dive into her interview, I would love to ask you a question around that in terms of your own self-leadership and your own peers, whether they be work colleagues or friends that you've known from high school or people that you're on a team with. You know, how did you show up um, in the past three years and how have you evolved? Because I do believe we've all evolved and we've all changed um, how we look at the world and how we present ourselves. Um, and how is how has that affected you and your own leadership? I'd love you to ponder that. Let us know. Um, and here she is, Pat Armistead, talking to us today about rehumanizing the workplace and the intriguing topic of conversational intelligence. Welcome, Pat. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. And congratulations on the show. Actually, it's wonderful. Just wonderful. Well, I knew you'd be thrilled. You and I have connected many, many times on Facebook over the years as we've all navigated this very fascinating time in history. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today. We're just going to see where the conversation flows, but I'm very intrigued about this topic of conversational intelligence. So let's, I guess, let's just start there. Um, you know, what have you witnessed? You're in Australia. We're, I'm in New Zealand. We're curious to hear how the, the past three years have been for you guys. So actually, let's start there. Pat, how have the last three years been for you guys over there? Uh, uh, it's varied uh, uh, between the various states over here in terms of lockdown and punitive measures, um, Victoria um, suffering the worst. Um, you know, from... From my own experience, the I think the things that have become very clear to me, I, I formed my own opinion very early in the piece about what I thought was really going on. And once I'd done that and um, I actually felt a huge amount of anger and resentment around Dan Andrews, the uh, Victorian Premier, and when I looked at that, it's like, of course you would. You, you you have been the victim of injustice yourself and, of course, you would see and identify with this. And that just gave me a um, very secure secure um, space to, to begin deliberating on how I would be. So we've experienced a lot of disconnect 
uh, professionally and personally. Uh, people have uh, separated out, that people haven't talked. Um, amongst my speaking peers, I've experienced some um, derision and put down uh, around um, how I've chosen, what stance I've chosen to take. And what I'm really seeing now is we're, we're still not through it. And now is really the time when um, we need access to a level of communication that mm -hmm. we haven't previously had. Uh, Australia is a hail, hail fellow, well-met kind of place. She'll be right, mate. Um, and, you know, you better water them geraniums. It's pretty laid back. I went on a tour around Australia once years ago and returned to one place that I'd been five years before. And I walked in, it was a post office, and without even blinking an eye, he said, yeah, g'day, he said, I haven't seen you for a while. He said, you're here for the mail? And I hadn't been here to pick up the mail that I used to pick up for someone else five years ago. And, and there it was, and I think that epitomises this um, general community laid-back um, way of being, which has been shaken to the core. So there's been an inability on many levels to not know how to deal with it. There's been an awful lot of compliance and there's been a, a considerable amount of railing against as well. So the one of my passions at the moment, it, it's like, right, how can we um, restore some of this? The um, people have power when they're in community and we've lost that. Mm. So I think restoring... Um, one of my rebuilding humanity, restoring humanity in the workplace is about reconnecting and um, giving people another level of language which they have not had before and which they probably wouldn't have been open to use or um, put to use five, ten years ago. But interestingly, they are now. I'm I'm curious to know because that right there's communities and there's communities within communities. You and I are both in the speaking community. Interesting, though not surprising, that you had some pushback or as you said some put down. I'm curious to know, did you have some people later on come maybe not creeping back, but coming back saying, "Hey, actually, I might have got this a bit wrong," or any sort of I don't know acknowledgement or apology? No. No, not yet. No, not yet. No. Wow. Right. And and that's I guess that that segues so nicely into what we're talking about, because for some people, acknowledging that they might have got the wrong end of the stick or maybe didn't realize that the stick was, you know, had some of the bark peeling off or whatever, like they 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 can't acknowledge some of that. And I actually received the most beautiful text last week. I got off a meeting with with the radio people because we do, you know, some behind the scenes planning of getting organized. Shout out to all the people that help with the show, by the way, editing and, and putting the music in and things. But um, so I got off this meeting and I got received the most beautiful text from a very significant person in my life who had not seen eye to eye with me. And it had been quite tense, you know, time and time again for the past few years. 
And someone that has the courage to acknowledge that is just a beautiful thing. And I, my, the way that I responded in my body was not, well, I told you, you know, or I was right, or finally you've seen the, the light of day. It was none of those things. I was actually very peaceful about it and really just, it really strengthened our relationship. Um, so I guess, do you see that, or I'm hoping that more people will be able to, I guess, put their ego aside and just, you know, come closer together with people that they might have wrongly wronged yes i mean one of the um perhaps I'll, I'll save that story for later in the show to access that level of courage mm. is extraordinary because it's um to admit that you were wrong that you might have acted hastily you acted with a, a different set of judgment and now, passage of time, you see, maybe that wasn't right. Um, and to, you know, I so would honour somebody um, who who had the courage to do that. And, you know, the, before I left New Zealand, I had an old coach and he said to me, do you know, before you go, he said, if there's anyone in your periphery at the moment whom you're out a little bit with, you know, you feel things are not as smooth he said I invite you to go and visit them and ask them is there anything you'd like to say to me in order to be clean so that we can move forward and he said and when they share with you whatever it is he said you just say thank you mm. and it's one of the most powerful things I've ever done I went and saw three or four people that were a bit eh, toey <laughs> and just allowed whatever it was to be expressed and accepted it. And in, in that like acceptance was, you know, I wasn't I wasn't preparing to say, oh well, I did that because it was none of that. <laughs> just really be be sitting in this more elevated place. You you feel you feel the change immediately. And you would have sensed that with your with the person who was in touch with you. Oh, exactly. And it was it was actually listening to me on radio that that did it. And it was more like, now I see where your intention. Now I see that your heart has always been in the right place. And it was so that was that was amazing. But just back to your story, I mean, number one, I love that not it's not even a challenge, the invitation that that coach gave you. Number two, I love that you were the big enough of a person to think that that actually could be quite pivotal for you and that you actually went and did it and going to see them in person. So how critical is it that, I think that's right, if you could, you went to physically see them, or I suppose if you couldn't, you would phone them. Obviously it might not be like an email situation. Yeah. Um, was it freeing for you? Very much so. You know, the I lived in New Zealand for 20 years and so a, a huge range of um communication occurred with so many people over the years, so many friends, associates, and um, I, I honour uh, myself as an integrous person and all those, you know, we can continue on if we're out with somebody, but um, it, it has an energetic impact. So to, to free up in... Making the conversation, can we meet up? Um, and we did. And then just asking that question with no 
you know, the important thing is all I'm going to say is thank you. Mm. So, and and it becomes like it's a blurt, you know, and they dump <laughs> whatever is the resentment is sitting there and it's just so freeing. So they didn't, I left knowing any bridge I wanted to cross, mm. if I went back to New Zealand, I could, you know, big or small. Um all those pathways are open and uh, and I could, you know, cross again. And I really like that. I really like that. It's um, in on one level it's like cleaning up your mess because even if you didn't necessarily cause it, nevertheless it's still sitting there and the both of you are involved with it. So um, you're both cause in the matter. So being able to... Uh, look at and of course the other thing that happens is your perceptions shift. Mm. You know when when you're open to prepare to look at something in a different way, it can be remarkable how how you get a shift in thinking and even what you thought shifts. Is this a good strategy for? Kiwis now, you know, going back to the workplace where maybe it was awkward because some people were mandated out and some people had very strong opinions in the other direction or whatever. And people like workplaces are coming back together again. And I guess that's part of the work you do is helping them to come back in in harmony, rehumanizing the workplace. Do you think this is is a strategy that people can use or is this or there's some maybe steps in the interim that might be safer territory to, to begin with? Um, I certainly do, but but you know we can we can practice in our everyday lives. You know there are over you know each of us have had various ones dissent, not agree. Um, you know around the phenomena or not, <laughs> um, and you know to to revisit those. Now some you may not be able to, but to. To, to enter that restorative place is is to bring a, a, a level of justice to the situation, even if it doesn't solve anything. Um, the, um, you know, the, it's like all the views get really hurt at a deep level and, you know, I, I love pre-framing conversations. And, you know, the part of my pre-frame with those people when I left was um, this is an opportunity for you to um, share with me uh, anything that's been sitting there that you might still hold judgment around and, and I'm just here to listen. I, I want to hear it. And that's scary, actually. It is for both people. <laughs> You know, and the I'm getting goosebumps now. The so to it's like an offer, it's like an improv. Mm. All right, you make an offer, and if the other person's ready to receive, then then you can move into that. So to begin, to begin, start practicing with those around you, those in you know smaller communications. 
And um, Judith Glasser uh, wrote a book called Conversational Intelligence uh, quite some many years ago now, and, and I love her work. She really explored the three levels of conversation and um, she drew a, a, a mud map, which we can't show you now, but she, a dashboard. And so the levels are level one, two, three, funny enough. <laughs> and level one is very basic conversation. Would you pass the salt? Thanks so much. Level two is stepping up and being uh, more in the inquiry. So it's a more expansive conversation. Level one is fairly you can be quite sceptical there, and it's pretty low trust. Step up a little bit to level two, you're starting to inquire, you're opening up and revealing a little bit more, and the, the trust level is shifting a bit. Level three is about sharing at a deep level and really going into discovery and having a desire to be in partnership. And that's the level that she's advocating we should be heading for. And that just requires, um, in the beginning, a lot of planning in your conversation. And once you become fluid, then you can just become agile in that and it just becomes very easy. You can see where you're going and you can see where you don't want to go. <laughs> and And that can be... Uh, a magic moment as well. I, I mean, Pat, you've got so much wisdom to share with people because, again, for those that don't know Pat, you know, you've won 11 advertising awards, five speaking awards, including the New Zealand, Australia, NZ Speaker of the Year 2002. Um, and you've been transforming workplace well-being for over 22, 22 years, you know, a thousand keynotes internationally, workplace well-being programs, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like, I don't know if you do, but I feel like Pat you know, you've been leading up to this your whole life. Like workplaces, if they've ever needed someone like you with the wisdom that you can impart to how to get that harmony and how to rehumanize the workplace. So let's say I'm a CEO or I'm, I manage a business and I've got a team and I'm listening to Reality Check Radio today. What can you tell me that I feel like I can implement with my team, you know, on Monday? <laughs> I can. What is something that people can do to change or to, I guess, as you're talking about, you know, bring the trust back? I think I think people people model off their leader. So I did some work in New Zealand for the Foundation for Science, Research and Technology. Um, 100 people dealing with distributing huge amounts of money. And when I saw the first person I met in relation to that engagement, she said to me, Pat, I need you to know. Everyone here has three, at least three degrees. And I'm like, right, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and then I met the CEO and he said, yeah. you know, we've, he said, we're all in our 70s on the board and we've been on a, a big mission to examine what we're doing here because while we're, administering all these funds and it is happening there's hardly a conversation ever about anything it's awkward mm. and he said I knew in order for us to shift I had to and so 
he and the board developed some new values for them to model themselves by. And then he said to the board, I know I'm probably going to have a bit of difficulty in the beginning. And what I'm asking of you now is, if you see that I'm not adhering to this, I want you to call me on it. And a, a lull ensued. <laughs> and he just let them sit in it. And finally, one brave fellow put his hand up and said, I actually would find that very awkward. Mm. And he said, Pat, that's exactly where it all began. And we've come through this big process now. And now you're here <laughs> um, to, to give us some leverage for the next step. So it, it's in the brave conversation. And even when you don't know how to say it, then you just acknowledge um, what I'm about to say um, may be a bit confronting, may sound a bit awkward. Uh, you may hear um, shifts in my voice, he said, but the, <laughs> the end result um, is, is a remarkable turnaround. And and so and so that company got in a joyologist. Yeah, that's right. Because you 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 are the joyologist. Yes. So and who knew that that was ever going to happen? Yeah. And you know the. So now that was a few years back. Now I just see people um, because of the huge affront to all lives. People are now ready and willing to listen to what they wouldn't have listened to five, ten years ago. So, you know, to so many leaders, you know, they're, they're still enmeshed in their old leadership style. Mm -hmm. Shifting and changing is going to be hard. So you just begin and, and you begin with that first conversation um, and, and you start to engage. I worked with Kensington Swan over there in uh, Auckland for five years and they had a client intimacy program that went for five years and they introduced all of the staff to another level of knowing about each other and they knew it would take some time. So it's a five-year plan. And then they took it to the lawyers and they were a little bit resistant, as you might guess. Couldn't we just call them friends? What's this intimacy thing? Mm. <laughs> and as it unrolled, you know, the lawyers saw I don't need to, you know, get rid of the beautiful suit and the documents and this, this pristine level of uh, professionalism because... We're not doing a pitch and spending 250000 now to get somebody else on board as a client. We're just having coffee. And at the end of that five-year period, they were invited by the Abu Dhabians to come and set up in Abu Dhabi. Um, and Chris Helbron, the, the manager, he said to me, Paddy said, all that had happened was where he said it was all in the conversation. You know, it was all in, it was no longer about 
the money is the prime mover. Mm. It, it was about who, who are we being? Who am, I, who am I being, he said, in this moment to be part of that? And what is it about me that's happened with me and, and the whole team that they're inviting us? So it, it just created... Like the, I experienced such awe and wonder, and at that time I thought they are way ahead of their time in terms of their capacity to lead others and to know it's going to take some time. And I think mm. same now. It's like um, it is going to take some time and we need to learn how to have brave conversations. That's a whole um you know, a whole huge lesson on its own and then begin to have them and to create the high-trust environment where we know um, we can begin to do that. I did uh, a big project here recently with um, a company called Programmed, uh, 30,000 staff, and over 15 months I delivered um, to their executives, 450 executives, I'm marvel to this day. Um, and, you know, time after time after time, 20 people at a time in the boardroom were open to conversations that I never thought I would see in my lifetime, particularly with a male audience, a mature male audience, to be able to share vulnerably, to appreciate who's really in the room, and I just saw evidence of it time after time. One of the men at the end of the day, he said, Pat, he said, I need you to know, he said, I'm going home tonight um, uh, to speak to my wife. He said, I learned today that my wife suffers with anxiety and I never knew. And as he said that, there were some tears started to fall down his cheek, all the other men in the room stood up and he got this standing ovation and I thought, look at this, this is just the most magic thing I think I've seen. He's going to go home and his wife is going to say, what on earth are you on? <laughs> uh, because he'd be so transformed. Mm -hmm. And the same for his staff tomorrow. So, you know, it's... Um, I had a series of losses at the turn of the century and I committed whatever comes up now in my life, I'm going to go to it. So in the going to it, <laughs> feeling bald kind of uh, statement, um, it's not there, you know. Yes, there's a bit of anxiety, fear, trepidation about what might happen, fear about what we don't know, but... Once we enter that space and and you do it with integrity, with um, and even when you can't do it so assertively, then you pre-frame it. You know, what I'm about to say, I'm actually finding very awkward and uh, I hope you'll allow and accommodate for, for how that might land. Um, and I've never had anybody not accept that. 
I think that that is part of the key. And there's two things I want to jump in on. I want to come back to the pre-frame. But earlier when you talked about, you know, the client intimacy and it's like, I'm, it's actually treating people like people. So instead of t- treating them like potential investors or clients, like, you know, it's just treating them as people and getting to know each other and being in the moment, like not thinking about them signing the deal or whatever it might be. And then also with you, with those executives in the room, I mean, I can just imagine it. But, you know, I have a massive concern for men and their mental health and well-being, their their happiness, their role in society, because everything's always changing. And I feel like having someone like you coming in, facilitating those conversations at a time like this, when I feel like humanity more and more is starting to question, who am I? How do I want to show up in this world? You know, what kind of dad do I want to be? What kind of husband do I want to be? And all the things, not just soldier on, you know, make the money or whatever. So the fact that you could hold that space for him, for them, and then exactly the the ripple effect that's going to happen from him going home and, she, and acknowledging to his wife about the anxiety. So it's it's I think if we can all do that, treating people like people and seeing them for who they are and having those conversations, it's hopefully going to shift the way we do everything. Yes, yes. That that company, their motto is if you see it, own it. And uh, I've interviewed one of the board members uh, several times since, and you know he's been thirty years in that within that company and. I said, how on earth do you manage 30,000 people? And he said, it's, you know, it's one conversation at a time. You know, and he, I'm always on the move, of course, and <laughs> fairly busy fellow. Um, and the, their accident rate is incredible. And I said, so what, why is that so, so wonderful? And he said, I'm committed that no one will come to harm while ever I'm here. Right. So their accident rate is really good, like low. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And the, and it's not just within their own business. One time I was presenting and he actually left the room and went across the street and I thought, oh, what's he up to? What's he doing? And when he returned, he said, oh, please excuse my absence. He said, but... I looked out the window and I saw somebody over there uh, cleaning a glass overhang over a shop front and I knew he shouldn't be standing on the glass. They didn't have any safety equipment. There was no, you know, instructions for people walking underneath to not be safe, etc. He said so he went down there and he saw them, oversaw them, safely finish the task, found out who their uh, employer is and he said, I'll be ringing them in my lunch break um, to have a conversation with how they might better support their people to be safe. And I said, so that wasn't your people? He said, no. Exactly. Well, you know, speaking of safe, right? In the last few years, the whole safe and effective thing has actually driven and people apart, divided people. Uh, it's like, how can we safely bring people back together to have these conversations that some people just have never had the ability to have before. And you mentioned earlier the pre-frame. So I love that because as you may or may not know, I used to be an outdoor instructor. So we do a lot of facilitation and debrief um, out in nature, not in the boardroom back in those days. But um, we talked about front loading, right? Or, and you call it pre-framing, but basically I love that. So you're pre-framing 
hey, this might come across a bit awkward or I might stumble with my words. And for staff to hear their CEO or whoever doing saying that, acknowledging that, it just has that level of authenticity. And then they're going to be more open to yes. hearing, I imagine. Yes. That's so that's so amazing. Um, so Pat, what other things do you have to share with us around the coming back to the topic, rehumanizing the workplace and conversational intelligence? Let's talk a little bit more about the conversational intelligence. What exactly do you mean by that? The um I've reserved a couple of um points that I'd like to share with you um from the book. Um she says that conversations are not just a way of sharing information. They actually trigger physical and emotional changes in the brain that either open you up to having a healthy, trusting conversation or close you down so that you speak from fear, caution and worry. And one of the exercises um, that I can take people through is to give them examples of that and have them see it and um, have them analyse it amongst themselves and then come back and revisit what it is that they missed. And there's always four, five, six things that they missed. So, you know, our we listen to respond, right? The, um, and in, the, in that place, we miss what's being said to us because we were already conjuring up an answer. So when we can listen to the end of what someone's saying and then um, then respond or park what we <laughs> what we what's coming up and then respond, um, then we're much more present. And over time, people can tell you were never this present. I'm wondering how you did that. Did you actually video them? Like, how did you remember everything that they said? Uh, they wrote it down. It was like a guided exercise. Right. So they, they watched a video and then they, um, under different headings, recorded their observations, what, what they saw, what they heard, what they felt. Um, and then we discussed that. And then we came back and watched it again. And I spoke over, did you notice? <laughs> and they're like, oh, my, I never saw that. And it just opened up then what on earth going on in the day <laughs> um, that, that I'm missing, right, because we're always planning ahead and thinking ahead and what if and, um, and yet if we can bring ourselves back present, then we can see where people are, you know, to get really connected to look around the table Um one, one lady at uh, one of those presentations, a uh, fairly buxom woman, reached into her bra at one point and pulled out a, a big pink box and started doing something with it and then all eyes have gone to her and she looked up and she said, oh, oh, sorry, she said, you wouldn't be aware, she said, but uh, I'm actually a brittle diabetic. I have uh, an implant and I orchestrate how much insulin I need at certain points and I half an hour till morning tea so I needed to do some adjusting so that's what I'm doing <laughs> and immediately everybody got it 
And it was the perfect opportunity for me to then say, I wonder if you'd responded any differently if she'd been having an anxiety attack. And you could feel the energy in the room just hit the floor. Um, so, you know, being, being present to what's going on and seeing the opportunity to create a learning experience um, in that shared intimacy. You know, we were only an hour or two into the day, mm. yet we had done enough work in that early time um, to create sufficient trust to be able to be in that space. And, and you know, it's not always appropriate to share personal stuff. However, with another one of those people, I shared that I'd lost my first child uh, at morning tea, actually. I shared with somebody. I forget how it came up. And he sat down, he thumped his hands on the table and he said, Pat, now I get you. Wow. You know, so to allow those things to come through, when and if it seems, you know, we're in flow, you know, there's this conversation um, which is unfolding. Somebody asks a question and, you know, you can respond in any number of ways, but <laughs> um, when you share vulnerably, uh, what a shift. And people, people can often see what they didn't see before. I agree. And for people and connection is something that is obviously we're trying to build that build back that connection. And at work, you know, a lot of people have these boundaries like these are my work people and these are my friends and it's all very separate. But you're right. Sometimes if you just know something about someone, it helps you to understand who they are. And I always talk about understanding each other better, judging each other less and loving or appreciating each other more. And that I feel like some of that facilitation that you're talking about can help people to to do exactly that. One of the things I wanted to talk about as well is I know you're big on people having um, getting past the being right thing. <laughs> so how can we move away from being addicted to being quote unquote right? You know, and I know you talk about having agile conversations. So what about that? What about if you've got someone in the workplace or in the family who, um, who just, yeah, they can't, they seem to be addicted to being right. I, I can definitely lapse into that myself sometimes. So what advice do you have? Well, I, th I think in order to shift that within yourself, if it's yourself you're speaking about, then um, you need to be committed. You know, if you identify that that's actually an issue, they're being right or me being right, whichever, whoever it is, um, all the time, then we, we need a commitment to change and then to, to really, like, there's the four agreements and then they've more recently created the fifth and the fifth one is about listening and listening with a level of intent that... Um, probably has escaped us in the, the years leading up to now. So being able to listen now to, and I've had many conversations with people who've had adverse events, difficult relationships coming through COVID, and um, there's a lot of, oh, but she said and they did and a lot of judgment there. 
if you can shift that, and I, I believe you can, but you've got to look at who you're being. Who are you being when you're in that righteous place? Yeah, and that's the ego talking, isn't it, pretty much? Probably, yes. You know. All right, and anyone else in our audience might also be able to resonate with some of that, either someone in your life or possibly yourself. Um, so being aware of it and list coming back to listening. That is amazing. Now, in New Zealand, as you know, we're a big, we're, we love our innovation. Um, so, and I, you know, you, do you have some some comments or some insights or things that you've seen around the Kiwi culture of innovation collaboration like what do you see is going to be the strength that can bring us together and move us forward yeah mike hutchison the xmd of saatchi and saatchi was my mentor for many years and is still a very dear friend is probably the most creative genial man that i know and uh, i noticed the other day he put something on linkedin uh, and led off with creativity and um, I am so with him on this. If if we don't connect into our creative force, and this is not about being an artist, this is about we've got all these many intelligences. We've got practical intelligence. We've got our IQ. We've got um, what else have we got? We've got uh, physical intelligence, um, environmental intelligence, spiritual right, as a gamut of intelligence that we have, but we typically only use sport and academia, right, your country and and, and Australia here. So we typically only use what, sport and academia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like we honour sport. Oh, yeah. We don't honour creativity in anywhere near the fashion that we honour and play reverence to sport, to, you mm -hmm. know, the All Blacks, for example. Um and I think we need to be more expansive now. Not every not everyone can fit into that, that all those two genres, you know. We're not all academics and we're not all sporting stars. So if we're not that, then we're not, well, we haven't been the headliner. Um, but there is so much, so many gifts out there that people have. And our role now as leaders is to identify them and harness that and bring it into the room. It's like managing a team of horses in a way. You need to be able to feel what's required by each horse on the end of, of the tether and then bring that together to, to have these people work together. A good horsewoman uh, over in New Zealand, I went and did a couple of days with her and she talks about how she can feel through the reins, what each horse wants. And so that's the level of connection that, that we're seeking ultimately. But in the meantime, <laughs> um, to, you know, to, to just shift your thinking and be committed to explore this space. And the... Um, Judith has a wonderful quote. To get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of the culture, which depends on the quality of the relationship 
which depends on the quality of conversations. Everything happens through conversations. So, and but for me, that, you know, a few sentences epitomises what does it mean to be conversationally agile? How do we get to be fluid in conversations? And I know for myself, it was a commitment. At the turn of the century, I had all of these losses. My partner of 20 years said, no, I don't love you, and I never loved you. Mm. And I thought, if that's true, then everything I've ever known is not true, and I disintegrated. However, on my path to my reintegration, I committed, I want all the words that leave my mouth to be a balm. Now, they weren't always. I was harboring a lot of anger and resentment and jealousy <laughs> back in back in those early years, but I was committed to move from that. So, you know, every, every program I did, every effort I made to elevate myself was all around that. I well, want to be fun. You definitely have, and I think that's an amazing quote, which I love. And that leads us so nicely to this question, which I ask all my guests. It's about upping your brave. So, Pat, what what in the last year have you done, achieved, or experienced where you truly upped your brave? Um, I don't know that I have a really good one from this last year, but I do have a good one from the past. So when my ex left with this other woman, um, for six months he said, uh, she's just a friend. And I said, oh, well, let's have it for dinner. But of course, that never happened. And in the end, I thought I need to bring them both together and have a conversation. And I was petrified. Wow. I was uh, sick in my stomach about going to that meeting. So I met him and her in the boardroom at his office. And I just poured forth um, all that had been happening from my viewpoint in terms of him being absent from the house and um, how all of these things had interplayed out. And I noticed, number one, she just grinned stupidly and he couldn't sit at the table. And I've that's the bravest thing I've ever done. Now, prior to that meeting, I had always thought and been jealous because she was a slim blonde. After that conversation, the next time I saw her somewhere, I didn't see a slim blonde anymore. I thought, oh, oh my God, she's just like his mother. And I was free. I was free. So... This is so about shifting your perceptions. You know, if you want to, only you can create that shift and you need to have the courage to do, um, to do what you haven't done before. <laughs> and, and it's okay. In fact, it's more than okay because that, that's the point of transformation. You know, I, you can't see me take my glasses off, but I saw her mm -hmm. with new eyes. Yeah. And she wasn't 
who I thought she was because I'd shifted. And I think that's what leaders can do now for their people by being more in that space and being um, being guiding eyes for, for where they're heading. A few things there. Uh, we did a previous show where the, the topic was owning your power. And in that example, you certainly did own your power. I mean, it was a confrontational an opportunity that you created um, to really own your own power and have that courageous, brave conversation and shifted the way you showed up. So congratulations on that. And obviously everything that's come since then, um, owning your own power. And also I think a lot of it is, you know, not putting someone else above you, you know, with that hierarchical habit that so many people have, like the, she's a slim blonde. It's like, yeah, but you know, everyone has so many amazing things to share with the world. Um, okay, so that's that's your up your brave. My next question is about the bucket list. We have this segment called Bucket List Bustard, Busters. Um, what have you got on your bucket list that maybe the Reality Check community can help you with? Um, something that you want to do, be, or experience in your lifetime? Yes. Um, I have as yet to do a TED Talk. And I would like to be introduced to opportunities for a TED Talk. I'd like it very much to coincide with my next book, which is called Joyful Empowerment, The Only Way Out is Through, and also with a um, solo exhibition that I'm creating at the moment called Mute Appeal, which is about giving voice to that which people can't say and giving voice to that which people don't want to hear. So I really want to be pretty confronting in uh, in the book and the exhibition in terms of um, going, going next level in that, um, uh, what are they called? You know, open kimono. Mm. Open kimono. There's, there's nothing left now to hide, um, nothing left to fear. And the and part of that is my I'm older now. <laughs> and so there's a cloak of wisdom that, that's part of that. And the uh, TED Talks that I have applied for, I've applied for several before. Um kind of glad they didn't happen actually because there's there's a whole range of substance that's come through. Uh, probably as a result of the last three years yes, and my uh, opportunity for more reflection um, to to be more meaningful in that TED Talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, I personally, I think that the either the rehumanizing angle or the conversational intelligence, because you know how I said, like they pass the eyebrow test. They're intriguing. It makes people go lean in and go, what's that? Their eyebrows go up. Yeah. Tell me more. Um, something we we haven't really heard before, conversational intelligence. Um, but I definitely can see you doing a TED Talk. And you're right. It's all about, you know, it is about divine timing when your message, the message you've got is ready for the world and the world is ready for your message. Um, you, I, My next question is what's coming up, which you, you alluded to. So you've got this book, the Joyful Empowerment book. Can you list how many other books have you written? I've written two on my own and I've co-authored another six. First one was called Humor Works, um, which was um, my first book, written in six weeks. Uh, I had I was in New Zealand, had an engagement 
over here at my old university and it's like, oh, I'm not going there without a book, so I need to write a book. I think it was about eight weeks down the track. And so I did, and I had the first 100 copies sponsored by New Zealand Window Shades. How amazing is that? It's funny what inspires us when we have a sense of urgency. You're like, I am not walking into that room, the the reunion or whatever, without a book. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. What else is coming up for you, Pat, and how can people find you online? I know you're on LinkedIn. So you guys, it's Pat Armitstead. Are you able to spell it for people? Yes, A-R-M-I-T-S-G-E-A-D. Um, my old website is www.joyology.co.nz and I have a new website which will be released in the next week or two just under my own name, Pat Amistead.com. And we can find your we can find all your books and possibly hear some of you, some videos of you talking, I imagine. Um, hey, before we wrap things up, Pat, is there anything else that you would love to share with our audience around upping your brave, around rehumanizing the workplace or conversational intelligence? We don't know what is to be revealed in those people around us. Um, I've been working with my 11-year-old grandson, and between us now we have co-authored 11 books. So out of this young mind has come this free thinking. I love improv acting, as I think you know, and he's been studying improv now for four years. <laughs> and the the awe and wonder that comes through when he's in this connected space. He can sit and sit with me and write for four hours. And you know, he's hardly bothered to have a break. Um, that's not usually how long that attention span can last. And you know, the how did I discover that? Well, I just opened up the window where it might happen. And so while that's an episode with my grandson, it's like create opportunities perhaps in every board meeting where you afford five to ten minutes to find out something about somebody in the room that you didn't know before to all create. There are lots of... Um, cards, uh, there are lots of different ways, tools, to help you extract some of that. And, you know, if you have weekly board meetings and you start doing that on a consistent basis, only takes five minutes, and, and suddenly you're finding out something that you didn't know before that can lead you in a remarkable way or lead your people. Well, that's amazing about your grandson. That's that's so incredible. And the, for you to nurture that talent or lift the lid on that talent and nurture it. You reminded me of a book that I read. And um, if you guys haven't listened to my interview with Paul, um, who is the host of The Breakfast Show, he interviews three people a day, every day. He's amazing. Anyway, he interviewed me for 15 minutes about my show, Up Your Brave. So anyway, in that interview, I mentioned this book that I read back in 2005, so a long time ago. And it really stood out for me. It's John Strzelecki's The Big Five for Life. And it's kind of like a bucket list. What are the five things you want to do, be, and experience before you die? And the idea of that is that he went into these workplaces and he got all the staff to do, like, it's like a team building activity. So kind of a, a vision board of sorts. But basically, everyone had their, their big five list. And they put it on the wall. 
So like, instead of just going to the water cooler and saying, oh, how's your report going? Oh, did you get that? Did you see the, the game on the rugby game on Saturday night? Instead of surface level conversation, all of a sudden they're saying, hey, I saw that you want to go to Costa Rica. I saw that on your, your big five. You know what? My cousin went to Costa Rica last year. Do you want me to ask her for some advice? Yeah, that'd be great. So suddenly the the staff, the team, they're all helping each other. They're in, they're invested in each other's to not to-do list, but they're they're big fives. Yes. And suddenly they're like asking about them. They're trying to help them facilitate them coming to fruition. Uh, which is similar but different to my bucket list. So anyway, if I can pass that on to you, an amazing book, awesome. an amazing guy, John Str- I actually reached out to him. We actually ended up becoming, you know, email friends. Um, really, I just love that whole concept. And if we can help people to do and be more than they ever thought possible, because they don't have to go it alone. And it doesn't have to be a list that gets dusty and they never get done because they're too busy doing their to-do list. It's like, hey, people love to help people. And when they know their things on their big five, there's that deeper connection that we talked about. And people love to be recognised. Above all things, everyone loves to be recognised. So to have somebody see something in you that no one else has noticed or brought forward or acknowledged is remarkable. It is. And I mean, a lot of people have write a book on their their big five list. Well, you've done that, you know, and, and I mean, it's very a classic example. People might have, you know, run the New York Marathon, which is definitely not on my my list. But for some people, if they have a similar thing, they can actually work together to achieve the goal. And that kind of deepens that bond as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat, it's been amazing to connect with you today. I know there's so much wisdom that you've got to share. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's been a delight. And I just love, I just love the synergy, right? It it's like the um, when when you're connected, and we do different things, but there there are so many things where we do connect. Um, then you get back into we have lost touch with awe and wonder, mm. you know. And part of that reconnection thing is to to show people, like I'm excited to read that book now, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. and to to bring that awe and wonder to it. It's like, oh, I'll write that up. Yeah, write that down. Um, there's, there's some of that missing. So, you know, and each and every day, wherever we are, supermarket, <laughs> um, you know, every point of contact is an opportunity to do something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And sometimes doing something is having that brave conversation. And so one of the things I'm going to take away was your advice that you started with, which is when going, you know, if there's anyone where in your life where things feel a little bit unsettled, giving them that opportunity, just inviting them. Is there anything that you'd like to say to me that in order for us to be clear? And then your only response is thank you. It's not justification or explanation. Yep. Mm. (laughs) Well, thank you for the amazing work you do. Thank you for being a pillar of strength and an inspiration for me. You know, over the past three years, you and I would message each other and we'd send each other links. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy to navigate the the pushback that a lot of us got, but you were definitely somebody that I, that I knew I could connect with. And, um, you know, now we're here to lead the world in a different way because things have moved on. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much, Pat. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much to Pat for sharing her knowledge, her insight, um, and her authenticity with us today. We've been talking about rehumanizing the workplace and conversational intelligence, amongst other things, including in this episode, in this interview, we talked about reframing conversations. I love how she talked about inviting accountability and inviting people to call you out and doing a reframe of a conversation, but also a pre-frame, a pre-frame um, and say, hey, you know, I might be totally off on this or I'm a bit nervous to bring this to your attention. Just coming down to people's level opens the door, I think, a little bit wider for some of those authentic conversations to happen. She also talked about joyful empowerment and, of course, asking the question to someone, hey, is there anything you'd like to say to me in order for us to be clear? And then simply responding with thank you instead of justification or explanation. I mean, it takes a brave person to do that. So if anyone out there listening would like to take that that story on board and possibly up your own brave and do that in your own life, if there's somebody that you've got tension with, and I I, I imagine we all have at least one or two, um, maybe you could could follow Pat's lead and try that out. Now, regarding the bucket list, Pat talked about the TED Talk. So again, get in touch with her specifically, or you can get in touch with me and I can connect you um, if you've got any ideas or connections around that. She is an amazing speaker and really an amazing woman. You can follow Pat, uh, patarmistead.com. I'm going to spell it for you. Pat, like P-A-T-A-R-M-I-T-S-T-E-A-D.com. She's also on Instagram with joyology one She's on LinkedIn, Pat Armistead, Transforming Workplace Wellbeing. So you can check her out and we would love to hear your insights. We would love to hear your thoughts from this episode specifically, from this interview specifically. Um, how are things in your workplace? And what does rehumanizing the workplace look like to you in the place that you work or the place that you show up daily? You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR Reality Check Radio.